One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 172. It is time for a marketing Q&A, my friends. Holy moly. It has been a while since we've done this, and I'm so glad to be bringing it back. This is where I ask you to share your questions with me, and I give you my answers. There are two places that I source questions for this episode. First, I asked members of my membership program, Making Good Happen, for their questions. And second, I posted it to my Instagram stories over at Lauren Tilden. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-T-I-L-D-E-N. Make sure that we're connected over there while you're at it. So I got a lot of questions that I was super excited about. And today we're doing a lot of them. Seven, in fact. We're talking about everything from email lists to personal brands, to how much money to spend on marketing, to changing my mind, to selling and everything in between. Shall we get started? Question number one, what tips do you have for growing your email list? So this is a very, very, very good question. And I'm so glad it was asked because email is the best. It is one of the most powerful ways to grow your business. I love it. In my view and in my business, it has been the best way to build strong relationships, to help my audience get to know me and my business and to convert to sales. And this isn't just in my business. The research backs up that when you look at effectiveness, return on investment, click rates, conversion rates, email for the most part blows social media out of the water. Social media in my book definitely still has its place, but I would argue that every single business owner should be prioritizing email marketing. And feel free to DM me if you want to talk this out. Email is truly my favorite form of marketing. Okay, so we have established that email marketing is very, very effective. Let's say your email list has an average conversion rate of 5%. If 5% of people on your email list make a purchase, then in order to increase your revenue from email, we're going to want to get more people on that list. If we have 100 people on our list and 5% make orders, that's five people making orders per email that we send. If we have 1,000 people on our list, on the other hand, and 5% make an order, now that's 50 orders. Now, of course, conversion rates are just averages. It's never going to be exactly this, but this is a good rule of thumb. All of this is the reason that growing your email list is so important. But how do we do it? Well, my simple answer is that we need to give people a very good reason to sign up for our email list. People don't go around giving out their email addresses just willy nilly. Usually we need to have a very good reason to do that. Maybe it's a coupon code or free shipping. Maybe it's what marketers call a lead magnet. This is something useful like a PDF or a workbook that is traded for an email address. 
The good news is that I have a lot of ideas on how to grow your email list, and I shared a bunch of them a few episodes ago in episode 169. Here are the suggestions that I gave in that episode. These are all pretty much free ways. I don't go into ads in this specific episode. So some simple ways to grow your email list. Number one, post about your lead magnet on social media a lot. Number two, ask your subscribers to invite their networks to join your list. Number three, do a giveaway where in order to be eligible, people have to be subscribed to your email list. Number four, prominently show the sign up and lead magnet on your website. Number five, use a VIP waitlist. Number six, show behind the scenes content of when you're creating your emails so that you create interest and curiosity. Number seven, do an email swap with another small business. And number eight, send super high value emails consistently. So those were the easier ways. Here are some more involved ways that may lead to faster growth. Number one, host a virtual summit. Number two, host a free event or a workshop. Number three, do a launch. And number four, create a quiz. So if you want all the details on all of these ideas, go listen to the full episode at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 169, or you can scroll to episode 169 in your podcast player. Question number two, I'm a one woman show. Should I approach my business as a personal brand or a business brand? Such a fun question. And my answer is that this really depends on your specific business and the goals of your business. This question came from a Making Good Happen member. So I'm going to follow up with you individually to give you a more detailed response that will be specific to your business. But here's what I would say overall. I don't think you can ever go wrong with putting you into your marketing. After all, the one thing that no one else has, that no one can steal, that really is your secret sauce and your biggest asset It's you, your ideas, your voice, your face, your values, all of that stuff. So even if your business isn't named after you or specifically a personal brand, and even if you make products, I would encourage you, and especially as long as you're the one still creating your own content, I would encourage you to share you. So yes, have great branding, use your brand colors, show photos of your products if you're a product-based business, but also lean into sharing about you, your story, what makes you excited, the story behind your business and your products, all of those things. For so many people, myself included, one of the selling points of buying from a small business is the simple fact that they are a small business. I love knowing that if I buy jewelry from a specific maker, that I'm supporting them, that I'm wearing a piece of jewelry handmade by that specific business and contributing to their livelihood. So it's a good idea to remind people of that fact that you're a very small business owner in your content. So to sum up my response here, it depends on your business and your goals for your business. But even those who aren't pursuing a personal brand in the strictest sense of that term, Even those folks, I would encourage you to still put a lot of you and your team, if you have one, into your content. Question number three, do you have a social media scheduler that you would recommend? Okay, yes, I have two answers here. First is the answer you want, and second is the answer that I think is more important. So first of all, I've tried a lot of schedulers, and the two that I like the most are Planoly and Later. Both have quite a few capabilities, and they work across multiple platforms. I think just in terms of the way that my brain works and the way that I like things to be laid out, I slightly prefer Planoly, but this is really just a personal preference. I like them both. And just to clarify, these are both platforms that work really well for the more visual social media platforms like Instagram, TikTok, even Pinterest. 
For something like LinkedIn or Twitter, I've used Hootsuite in the past and that worked well, but there's a lot of other options there too, like Buffer or Edgar. Here's the more important answer that I want to give to this question. One that is inspired by my friend Stacy Miyahara of Monday Main, who I will link to in the show notes. So here's what I would say. The scheduler that is best for you is the one that you will actually use. My suggestion is to first ask yourself what you're looking for. What do you need your content scheduler to do for you? What platforms do you need it for? How far in advance do you plan out your content? Once you know the answers to those questions, so you really know what you need out of a scheduler, give yourself an hour to do some research on this. Watch some YouTube videos of people showing how to use the tool. That way you get a peek into the inside of the tool and you can see how it will actually be used. I would pick the one that feels the most intuitive to you and even the most pleasant to use. If it feels organized and seamless and you like spending time in there, then that's probably a good sign. On the other hand, if it feels clunky and it confuses you, I think you'll probably run the risk of just simply not using it, even if you are paying for it. I can't resist adding a PS here, and that is that there's absolutely no requirement to use one of these scheduling tools at all. If what works for you is to write out all of your content in a Google Doc and then have a calendar reminder in your calendar that reminds you when to post each post, if that works and that feels easy to you and you find yourself actually executing, then that's great. Again, the system that's going to be best for you is the one that you actually use. Question number four, is there anything from earlier episodes that you've changed your mind about now that you're up to over 170 episodes? I love this question. And the answer is that I bet there are quite a few things. When it comes to this podcast, I've always shared what I know at the time and what's working for me at the time. But it's been nearly three years since the first episodes came out. And since then, social media in particular has changed drastically. And my approach overall to marketing has evolved. So the main thing I would say is that any content around specific social media algorithms and platforms, that stuff is always going to be most relevant the more recent the episode you're listening to. But beyond social media, I think there's one main way that my thinking has changed since the early days, and that's really around the idea of what kind of content is valuable. I've always believed that the best approach to marketing is to add value, to create useful, valuable content that can be of service and interest to our ideal customers. But a few years ago, looking back, I see that I had a pretty rigid definition of what kind of content was valuable. For me, that was usually going to be content that was like, how-to or educational that taught the reader something. I believed very, very strongly that we should only post content if we had something important to say. These days, what I consider to be valuable looks a little different. I still believe that the best approach to marketing is to add value, but what that actually means to me has changed over time. Yes, I think educational content and how-to content is super useful. I share tons of stuff like that. But I now believe that there are a lot of other ways to add value too, ways that help us stand out in an online world that has gotten more and more saturated and harder to actually be seen in. We can add value not only by teaching, but by inspiring people, by making them laugh or feel related to, by having a conversation with them, and possibly most importantly, by helping them get to know us better. It's only been the last year or so that I've gotten really, really comfortable sharing the everyday, seemingly boring moments from my life and trusting that people will actually find them useful or interesting to hear about. With every year that passes, the social media and marketing worlds get more and more saturated. There are more people posting and the platforms are making it harder and harder for our content to actually be seen. 
And this will only continue to be true as AI develops and content doesn't actually have to be created by people anymore. But I think this means that it's going to become even more important to put you in your content, your heart, your thoughts, your face, your stories, your life, what you are excited about, what you believe in, what matters to you, why you're doing what you're doing, and heck, even what you thought of that love is blind live reunion. Whatever you feel comfortable sharing, that is you. That's something that cannot be manufactured or replicated. For me, embracing this has meant that I needed to lower the bar for myself. If I'm going to let people see me, I have to really cut back on perfectionism. If I'm going to share my life, my desk, my house, even my face, I can't be demanding perfection because otherwise I just won't be showing up to share content at all. One of my favorite things to say and to remind myself of is that things don't have to be perfect to be valuable. Now that I've expanded my definition of what kind of content is actually valuable, I create more content. The stakes are lower. I try not to attach too much feeling or emotion to how each individual piece of content performs in terms of stats, and I put more stuff out there overall. In a business world that is getting harder and harder to be seen in, creating more potential touch points by creating more content is only going to benefit you. So to tie this answer up in a bow, I would say that the main thing that has changed is the way that I define value. I know now that allowing people to get to know me is inherently valuable, something that for whatever reason I didn't used to believe was really true. So for anyone listening, if this resonates with you, my encouragement is to allow yourself to show up more in your content, share what feels safe and comfortable for you. But I'd love it if that included a selfie now and then. If it included your ideas, your thoughts, what makes you excited? These things are what we connect with, and they're also what set you apart. And standing apart is a very, very good thing. Question number five, how do you get more comfortable with selling? Okay, this is a great question and one that I am so glad you asked because I know this is a tough point for so many of us. I think if you feel drawn to this podcast or my style of marketing, you most likely have created your business because you love what you do or you care about something, not because you love to sell. So you're in good company if this is how you're feeling. But selling doesn't have to be icky or sleazy or gross or manipulative. I would like to invite you to think about selling in a new way. What if you think of selling as presenting an opportunity to help solve a problem? The best heart-centered sales approach starts with a real understanding of your ideal customer and what they want or what problem they need to solve. Then it leads to you creating an offer that you genuinely know will give the people what they need. And finally, you present that offer to them and you just give them the opportunity to take you up on it or not. I'm all about creating a good offer, putting together something so awesome, so useful that it's hard for the right person to say no to. Yes to this. But also when you've put it together, when you've presented it to someone and you've invited them to take you up on the opportunity, then it's time to detach yourself from the outcome. So help them decide if it's for them from a super genuine place. Answer their questions. Don't try to force them to purchase. And if they say no, understand that it doesn't mean anything about you or your offer. Try not to dwell in any emotion about it and know that that no may not actually even be forever. The main way to get more comfortable with selling is just to start selling. Put offers out there over and over again. I do recommend that you aim to add value through your content 80% of the time or more, but make sure that you are selling sometimes too. The more you put yourself out there, the more you sell, the more you're going to see that yes, sometimes nobody buys. 
Sometimes people say no, and that's part of it. We get used to it and it becomes a lot less scary with experience. So all in all, let yourself be uncomfortable and give selling a shot anyway. It gets easier and it's okay to go outside of your comfort zone sometimes. Question number six, how do you approach the tension between niche marketing to your ideal customer and trying to cast a wider net to grow? This is a great, great question. To say this question another way, I think what she's asking is, should I speak specifically directly to my ideal customer, therefore possibly excluding people, or should I cast a wider net so I can reach more people? And to answer this question, I actually think it would be helpful not to use the word niche at all, because I think that word has a lot of associations with it. Here's what I would say. Imagine your ideal customer, and if possible, this should be based on someone real that you've worked with and who has purchased from you so that we know that they are actually likely to invest because they've done it before. So if you have someone you've worked with before or a customer who's really resonated with your products, put them into your mind. Now, I would encourage you as we go through this process of thinking about your ideal customer, forget about the demographics unless it happens to be very, very relevant to your specific business. Forget about things like age, marital status, income levels, race, gender, etc. Demographics is where niching can get a little bit funky because if someone who would actually be a good fit for your business sees your marketing and it refers to something about your life circumstances that don't apply, yeah, they might feel a little bit alienated by that. So instead of demographics, let's go a little bit deeper. What is it about this person that made them such a good fit for you? What were they looking for? Why did they love what they got? What are their hopes and dreams and aspirations, especially as it relates to your category or industry? What are their challenges and struggles? Again, especially as it relates to your category or industry. This is the person that you want to talk to in your content, not because of their demographics, but because of what's going on in their head. Here's another way to think about this in terms of the point A to point B transformation. Imagine that after working with you or after buying your product, your customer arrives at point B. They have transformed or gained something out of working with you or buying from you. But what is the point A? Where are they starting from? What do they not know that they need to know? What are their questions? What are they curious about? What feels exciting to them? You want to be talking to that person who is still at point A and address those questions that I just asked about what they need to know, what questions they have, and what would excite them. So reflecting back on what I'm saying here, here I think is the crux of it. Yes, let's talk to your ideal customer, but not in terms of demographics or the specifics of their life circumstances. Instead, meet them where they're at when it comes to their mind, what they care about, what's important to them, what excites them. Those are your people. Question number seven, what is a reasonable amount of money to spend on marketing? This is such an interesting question because no one has asked me this before. So thank you for this question. I would want some more detail from you about exactly what you're asking. Are you talking about marketing overall, which would include things like your software, Canva, scheduling tools, etc.? Or are you looking for a number that includes marketing education like courses or coaching? Or are you just talking about ads? There's no right answer to this question. Google would tell you that it is generally something to think about, not in terms of a flat dollar amount to spend, but as a percentage of your revenue. In other words, what percentage of your revenue do you feel comfortable investing into your marketing? Again, Google says that general industry rules of thumbs would be to send 
spend somewhere around 2 to 5% of your revenue on marketing if you're a B2B business, meaning you sell to other businesses, and then closer to 5 to 10% of your revenue if you're a B2C business, meaning you sell directly to people, consumers. From businesses that I've owned and work with, I can tell you that there is no one right approach to this. There is a huge variety in how much people spend on marketing. Some businesses spend a ton of money and some spend very little. What I would say is that all businesses need marketing. We need to be getting in front of potential buyers. We need to be building trust and relationships with them. And we need to turn those relationships into sales. This is how our businesses stay in business. So in order to do this kind of marketing, you really have three resources at your disposal. You have one, your strategy, two, your time, and three, your money. I would say it's important to prioritize first getting a smart marketing strategy established, no matter how much money you want to spend. Then when you have a strategy in place, you can either spend a lot of money, but not as much time. So this might look like using a lot of ads or hiring people to do your marketing, Or you could spend a lot of time, but less money. This is you putting in the hours to do all the marketing yourself. With a good intentional marketing strategy, marketing should be something that has a positive return on investment. Meaning the more time you put into it, the more money is generated on the back end of it. When we do marketing in a thoughtful, strategic way, and in a way that results in more money than we put in, in many ways, marketing isn't an expense at all, but an investment. So I know I didn't give you an exact number to spend on marketing, but I hope that this gives you a way to think about it. All in all, again, I would say this is not something there's a right answer to. And there are wildly different approaches of this mix of spending lots of time versus little time, but more money. All of these can work if you have a strong strategy to work from. Okay, so there you have a bunch of my answers to your questions. I love doing these marketing Q&A episodes. If you enjoyed this, check out the show notes where you can listen to some previous Q&A episodes. Now, what other questions do you have for me? So often I use these questions from you as starting points for new episode topics. So get in touch with me for sure if you have questions. You can send me a DM on Instagram at Lauren Tilden. That's L-A-U-R-E-N. T-I-L-D-E-N. And let's chat. Before I let you go, can I go on my soapbox about this for a minute? I just want to remind you how powerful it is to listen to the questions that your audience is asking. If you're getting questions over and over again, chances are that's a very good opportunity for you to create some content that will resonate with your audience. For example, I get asked about email list growth a lot. So you better believe that I just created an episode about it and I will be doing more in the future. So if you want a little homework assignment, here it is. Go ask your audience what questions they have for you about your product, about your industry, about anything related to your business. And then most importantly, make note of what they say. There is so much to be learned from this. Okay, you can find the show notes from this episode at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 172. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful for your support. Here are three ways that you can give back to making good. First, I'd be honored if you'd leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to subscribe and follow. Second, if you have a friend that you think would enjoy the podcast, you can send them the link. This episode is at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 172. And finally, take a screenshot of your podcast player while you're listening and tag me on social media at Lauren Tilden. I would love to connect with you and cheer you on. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.